We're starting a brand new series called Foundations. We're going to go uh, through six foundations that are listed in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Um, just kind of want to back up to chapter 5 and kind of give you the context of what this is written in. Uh, it's just really important to me that you have a, a, a good, strong foundation and you know exactly, uh, concerning these six foundations, you know exactly what the Bible teaches and what we are to believe and have your life rooted and grounded in Scripture. It's really important, I believe, especially for the things that are ahead for us as uh, believers in Christ. We, we need a strong foundation because there's about to be some winds blowing uh, that was going to test everybody's foundation, I can promise you. Um, so you ready? You ready? And uh, you may want to get you a little notebook or something. We're going to be giving you notes uh, every week. And it's probably going to last 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 weeks. Who knows how long it'll last. We'll, we'll see how long. Um, and we may add some other foundations to it once we get through Hebrews 6. Um, but you may want to get you a little notebook, punch those pieces of paper I give you with like a three-hole punch and put it in a notebook and just kind of keep it. I think it's going to be a profitable study. I want you to listen in two ways. I want you to listen for yourself, obviously, uh, that, that you make sure you understand these things and, and feel free to talk to me, you know, call me, Facebook me, whatever, whatever you need to do. Uh, let's, um, let's, let's keep talking. Let's make sure you're rooted and grounded in all this. Uh, but I want you to also listen uh, for helping somebody else. You know, we, we are to take what we learn and pass it on. So you you got two ears. One of them, listen with one ear for you and one ear for to help somebody else. Is that is that agreeable? You can do that. All right, all right. Let's start in chapter five of Hebrews, verse number twelve. This is pretty much where the thought starts, and then it goes on over into chapter six. The writer says this. He says, "For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God." And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So he's kind of getting on to the believers that they're not as far along as they maybe need to be. And I think some of us can, can really relate to some of that. We wish we were further along, don't we? <laughs> we wish we knew more. We wish we were listening better sometimes. Verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe or she is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses, their spiritual senses, exercise to discern both good and evil. Then pick it up in verse number one of chapter six. He says, therefore. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, you look and see what it's there for, right? Because it's there for a reason, right? So he's explained all of this about us being on milk, but God wants to put us on a little bit stronger food, you know, so that we can get, get stronger in our faith. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Let's, let's move forward and mature in Christ. Amen. And Paul would even say to a perfect man or complete person. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. If God permits. You know, he's talking about building right here, right? He's talking about laying a foundation, building your life, all that kind of thing. And he says, we're going to go forward. Once we lay these foundations, we're going to go forward and this we will do if God permits. It's just interesting language right there. I've been in construction off and on my whole life since I was little. My dad raised me up with a hammer in my hand, basically, and a paintbrush. But what, 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 what has to happen in, in the building industry if you're going to build something? You have to do what? You have to go to the, to the uh, building and zoning office or whatever it is for your particular location, and you have to go and pull a what? Anybody know? You got to get a permit, and then what, once you get your permit, what do you have? 
you have all these inspections that come in the different phases. And why, why do they do that? Well, to make sure that the structure is safe and it complies with certain regulations and all that kind of thing. And it's just interesting to me that it says, that, like right here, we're going to build you up provided the foundation passes inspection and God permits us to continue. Did you see that kind of idea? It's just kind of neat how it's worded right there because we can kind of relate to that idea of, of going through the inspections and all that. Now, these foundations have got to be established in our life if we're going to flourish in Christ. If we're going to grow into a complete Christian and a mature Christian, these foundations, did you see them listed right there? Repentance, faith, baptisms. Notice that baptisms is plural, right? Laying on of hands, resurrection, and eternal judgment. The Bible's got a lot to say about all these things. And some of them are practices like baptisms, uh, laying on of hands. You see that happening a lot in the book of Acts and a lot in Jesus' ministry. He'd lay hands on people and, and great things would happen. Uh, so these are foundations we, we've got to, to see. And, and we're going to see that, that repentance starts with repentance. That's our entrance into the kingdom. That's how we get in, right? Repentance is the avenue where God helps us start fresh, start anew. Repentance, and we, we, we kind of make a progression, and it goes all the way. These foundations take us all the way to judgment, right? Okay, you see, you'll just see that progression right there. Now, there's several ways that the Christian life is illustrated in, in the Bible, and, and they're fascinating. They're all worthy of study for sure, and we'll get to it in time. Uh, a tree producing fruit, remember that? And we should have the fruit of the Spirit. That's the idea of the tree that, that produces the right kind of fruit. Jesus talks about a tree. You should know a tree by its what? You know a tree by the fruit it produces, right? Then we have the sheep and shepherd relationship that describes the, the Christian life. Uh, we've got the grapevine that Jesus talks about, this divine, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus talks about that's, that's kind of how life with him works, like a vine and a branch. Then you've got the, the idea of the seed and soil. These are all pictures of what the Christian life is like. And then you've got the idea that Paul talks a lot about, about the athlete in training. But he's not in just training, he's in training to win, right? But here we're going to get into this, this analogy of the Christian life is like building a house. You're going to have some fill in the blanks there in your notes following along. Even in the scriptures, we're going to fill in some blanks today. It's, it's a lot like building a house. Now, it's us working with God. We're not doing it on our own. Aren't you glad of that? You're not on your own in this building project, uh, the building even of your own life. You're not on your own. You've got the Holy Spirit to help you along the way. You've got the Word of God to help you. You've got other believers, hopefully, that you're connected to to help you along the way. We are here to build our house, but the house is not just, it's not a house or a building like this. The house is our lives, isn't it? It's our life and our lifestyle. It's our character and our integrity. God is building a house and not just any house, but God wants to build a house that not only you live in and you enjoy, but he's building a house that he wants to live in. C.S. Lewis has got a great great story where he writes about God building the house and when God moves into our lives you know we think you know we need the window replaced and we need this uh, replaced and we know that the shutter may be hanging off the front and God's gonna fix it but really when he comes in he doesn't just fix all those minor things he comes in and does a whole remodel project on us and you know why he remodels it because he wants to make you to his liking because that's gonna you're gonna be his house and we are gonna be his house together we are so it's a house that he wants it clean. Don't you like a clean house? <laughs> Sandy's really all about that, for real. <laughs> She's one of those. <laughs> but it's, it's not bad, because I kind of am too. Um, he wants a clean house. He wants holy hands. 
He wants a pure heart. You know, he, he's working on all that, isn't he? he and, and, and anybody knows, has done any cleaning, what do you have to do for something to get unclean? Not, nothing at all, really. It just kind of naturally goes to, to chaos, doesn't it? God wants a clean house. He wants a beautiful house. He's making you into a beautiful part of his image and likeness. He's, he's wanting to make you into a functional house that works and, you know, the light switch works when he turns it on, you know, that kind of thing. And nothing, nothing more crazy than to be in a house and all the appliances go out. You know, it's like the end of the world or something, isn't it? <laughs> you, you, y'all had some of that going on the other day. He wants you to make you an attractive house because he, he wants to put you on display. And he wants you to be attractive to all those around, around you so that maybe they want him to come in and build them a house too. He wants, us, he wants to make us an impressive house. Now, maybe not like a mansion or, or maybe like in terms of the world impressive, but he, he wants to make you the kind of a person that makes like a good impression on people. Like in, in the area of kindness and goodness and character and integrity and holiness and all that kind of thing. You, you ever been around a Christian that they were just impressive? Certainly not because they were trying to be because that's that kind of is not impressive. <laughs> When somebody tries to be impressive, that's not really impressive, is it? Not in the right way, anyway. But you've been around a Christian that just, just they impress you with their humility. And they impress you with their kindness. And they impress you with, with their wisdom and their knowledge. See, God's building us into that kind of place. You know, like, like if you were driving down in, in Uptown somewhere and you, you drove by the, the, the real nice neighborhood and you saw the house and you were like, man, that's pretty nice. You, you ever done that? Well, God wants to make you that kind of individual that where, while you're working on the job or, or you're, you're there with the family or you're in the community, that's, well, that's a pretty good fella. That's, that's, that's a pretty good one. God's really done a work in their life. He's, he's building us like a house. Now, when we're building a house, what is the most important part of a house? It's the foundation, isn't it? Because, you know... We may spend more time on picking out the color of the paint and picking out the fixtures in the bathroom and all the, the niceties and the things that we like in a house. We, we, we spend time doing all that and furnishings and all that kind of thing. But if the foundation collapses, does it really matter what the faucet looks like? Or what kind of furniture? The, the, if you've got an 80-inch screen TV and in, in a big flat screen TV in there, does that really matter if the foundation crumbles? Because what happens if the foundation is not laid properly? If the dirt's not packed properly, if the foundation is not cured properly, or if it's not maintained properly, what happens to that house? It, it falls apart, doesn't it? Well, isn't the same true spiritually? If the foundation is not strong, Jesus tells us that we're going to read a little bit of that in a minute. But Jesus tells us if the foundation is not strong, soon there will come a storm that will literally wipe you out. Something, something will happen and it will collapse, and great will be its fall. So the foundation is super duper important. This is what the Hebrews writer is talking about right here, getting our foundation right. Now let's, let's go into 1 Corinthians 3 right here. Just looking at about seven verses together. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. And let's just hear God talking about this idea of building. And we're going to go as long as we can tonight till 7.30. We'll get as far as we can in our notes and we may have to pick it up uh, somewhere next week. So that's a good thing about you coming back, right? You're going to come back, right? <laughs> we hope. Verse number 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. So we got three pictures right there. We're workers with God, we're God's field, we're like his crop, you know. What we want to pay attention to is that we are God's building. We're his building. 
According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Paul calls himself a wise master builder because he's been taught by the Holy Spirit. He's been taught by the Lord himself. He's been taught by the Holy Scriptures to know exactly what needs to be in a person's life. I don't know if you ever worked on a project, but it's really good when you've got somebody that knows what they're doing in charge. Isn't it? It just makes things. You ever been with somebody that doesn't know what they're doing? <laughs> and, and, and they still want to be in charge? Yeah, that's, that's quite a fiasco. But Paul says that, that we need wise master builders to help us. And he has literally laid the foundation. And another will build up on that foundation. So it's not just enough for us to have our foundations right. We, we've got to have the foundation right. That's, that's absolutely essential. But we've got to have the foundation right because God wants to add so much more to us. Maybe responsibility and calling and giftings and abilities and talents and knowledge and wisdom and influence and all the things he wants to build up on top of that foundation. But as a wise master builder, he would know if the, found, the foundation can only hold so much. He would know exactly what the capacity is. Another will build upon it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So take heed how you build upon your foundation and how you let others build, build you in Christ. Verse number 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Can you read that with me before we move forward? For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, this, this is not in Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 kind of takes us on into some, some ideas, but, but it's certainly talking about Christ in Hebrews 6. But it says that there's no other foundation that's going to last the storm that's going to pass through the judgment. There's no other foundation except Jesus Christ. Now think about the, the, the picture here, is that we literally are building our life as Christians. We are building our life upon Jesus. It's like Jesus is the foundation, boom. And we build our life upon Him. Now somebody help me with that picture. How does that happen? How do we, how do, we do that? How do we build our life upon Christ? Get saved, repent of our sins, and follow him. Amen, and the lesson's over. We're good to go, right? <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Pat. <laughs> that, that, was, that was pretty good. We build our life upon Christ. We build our life upon his finished work, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and his promise that he's going to return, his finished work, where when he finished the work, he said that. He said, it is finished. I have done everything I have to, to use our term, I have laid the foundation for everybody to come into the kingdom of God that wants to. But you've got to come in through me. But we also build our life upon his teachings, upon his ideas, his ideology, his theology, his understanding of life, his understanding of society, his understanding of God, his understanding of who you are, good, bad, and ugly of it. We build our life on him. Lots more we can say about that. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, there's a lot of different materials you can use to build, right? Some are more expensive, some are more valuable, some are inferior. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. 
because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, what is the day? What day is he talking about right there? The judgment day, right? So that's another one of our foundation stones. We'll, we'll come back to that later. That's another foundation we've got to have in, in, in spot. We've got to have it put and laid just right that we know that we are accountable on how we live our lives or how we use the analogy of how we build our lives. We're accountable for that. And the fire, we're going to pass through the fire of judgment. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. We'll, we'll get to more about that fire when we get down to the, the last foundation of eternal judgment. All right, let's, let's go into Luke 6. Still, still dealing with this, this building idea. Now, this is Luke's idea of the, the parable of the wise and foolish builder. This is Luke's rendition of that teaching of Jesus. Verse 47, Jesus speaking here. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. All right, now this building idea. He is like a, a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. You, we could actually say laid the foundation on the bedrock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. So this wise person is going to build their house in such a way that they're going to hear and do what Jesus says, and they're going to build their house in such a way that it will last. It'll endure. There's a storm coming. There's, there's heavy rains coming in life. There's, there's all kinds of troubles and tribulations coming our way. It's just a fact. We've got to build the foundation to where it can sustain. Build the structure of our life where it will sustain. Now pay attention to that. He is like a man building a house. This is a detail that Luke adds that, that Matthew doesn't add. In order to build that house and lay that foundation, he first had to dig deep to lay the foundation on the bedrock. So what is he getting out of the way? If he's digging deep, what's he, get, what's he getting rid of? All the, the sandy, the loose stuff, the, the, the maybe the, 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 the dirt that's not as compacted and not as, not as hard, it's not, not rock, you know, not, not solid, not stable, right? Had to dig deep. Now you realize that, that we have to do the same thing? In our life with Christ, that it's not just about building and God doesn't just start building because he's got a whole lot of excavation work to do before the building actually proceeds. He does it in a, in a study. Anybody ever had God dig something out of your life? Dig something out of your mind? Dig something out of your heart? Dig somebody out of your life? Oh, Lord, help us. We don't want to go there, do we? <laughs> just a couple things. You know, Jesus said that one of the things that he wanted the Pharisees to get rid of in their life, it, it, I say to get rid of, but just not let it dominate them like, like it was. He said that their traditions were literally making the word of God of no effect. And in, in order for them to come to Christ, he called them out of a lot of things, actually. And what, what was he doing? He was digging away all of that stuff that wasn't going to be useful to them. It wasn't going to help them. It actually was weakening their foundation. He said, you got to dig all this stuff out. Now, not all traditions are bad, but not, not all traditions are good either. How do we know which ones are good and which ones are bad? Well, we've got to root it in Scripture. That's the best ones. Got to dig. Now, and now there's, there's some bad thinking we've got to dig out. Get, the Holy Spirit's going to help you dig, but guess who's going to hold the shovel? 
Yeah, and, and all these bad ideas and misconceptions of God. I mean, we all got them. Nobody's theology is perfect. Nobody's understanding of God is perfect. God has to come in and correct all kinds of lies we believed about ourselves. We, we believed about God. We believed about other people. All, the, all these things. God wants us to learn to dig things out of the way. And, and let's wrap it up here. 49. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now when it says he did nothing, he was actually doing something that actually was nothing. <laughs> you get the point? Because he was doing something, he was building, right? But he did nothing, he didn't do it right, did he? He did nothing. And, and we go back to Matthew, we can reference that. This guy, he heard what he was supposed to do but guess what? He did nothing about it. You know, I throw too much heat on you, but we just talked about Sunday about Jonah, you know, loving your enemies. That's a nice sermon. Nice to hear that kind of thing. A great story. I mean, Jonah's story, I, I, I'm just still, still fascinated with his story. It's, so, it's, got a, it's got a lot of depth to it. <laughs> Never mind. That was funny. <laughs> but you can hear a story like that and, and be impressed by it. But what if you just hear love your enemies and you don't go out and do anything about it? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it, it just applies even in, in our everyday listening, our everyday devotion, everyday reading, all that kind of thing. All right. All right, now, let's get into these first two foundations. We'll, we'll get, get introduced to them anyway, and then we'll pick up where we leave off. The first two foundations in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 are directly related to each other. I'll kind of teach them apart and then teach them together because they just kind of work together. The first one's repentance from dead works. The second foundation is faith toward God. Okay, say that with me. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. They work together. Now let's, let's get some definitions, some, some ideas about what repentance really is. And then we'll go look at some scripture and then plug, it, plug the definitions in. Some thoughts about repentance. The first thing I want you to see here is that repentance is to make a decision to turn and go the other way. To make a decision to turn and go the other way. Now, you're turning from the dead works. See how they go together? See this? You're turning from the dead works and you're turning to who? You're not just turning to something, you're turning to God, right? So, so that's, it's the idea of you make a decision. When I was writing that, I, I, I heard that, that song that, that we probably have all heard through our, our, our lifetime. I have decided to follow Jesus. And then it goes, no turning back, you know, that, that kind of idea. I, repentance, first of all, it may or may not have emotion with it. I don't know. A lot of it does because it, it, can, it can be a difficult thing and a real emotional thing. And usually it comes to people in, in very difficult seasons of time. But it, it doesn't have to be emotional, but it does have to be a decision. I can promise you. It's kind of like when, 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 when I've had my biggest growth spurts with, with the Lord, I just made a decision. I made a decision to receive what he was given. I'm not a super emotional guy when it comes to a lot of things. But I am a decisive guy, and when I make a decision, boom, that's it. My, my line is, 
uh, she said, why didn't you turn right there? Well, because I was already committed to going straight. <laughs> I couldn't wreck the car at that point. Make a decision to turn and go the other way. It's, it's just as plain as, as, as this right here. You get this kind of idea. Boom. And you turn and go the other way. All right. Now we're talking about in this case, it's a decision to follow Jesus. Whether it be to follow Jesus for the first time to step into the kingdom of God or whether it be to follow Jesus into this idea of you hear him teach something and, boy, I need to do that. I don't need to just hear that. I need to do that. That's, that's the idea of repentance. Just go back to the love your enemy thing. When you hear Jesus say something like that, it shouldn't just strike you. It should, just, it should challenge you to the point and say, I've got to figure out how to do that. <laughs> because the good stuff is not in the hearing. The good stuff is in the what? It's when you do it. It's when we learn to do what he says. Now, this, this making a decision. Now, it's a decision. And it's not so much a decision between heaven and hell. Although we've, we've packaged it up that way. And those are certainly consequences. You go to heaven or you go to hell. If you don't, you'll perish, the scripture talks about. But really, when we make a decision, it's not between heaven and hell. The decision really is between my way versus God's way. Because I know a lot of people have, who have decided that they want to go to heaven, but they never gave up their way, and they ain't going to make it. It's going to tell you. You know, you hear what I'm talking about? Can you hear what I'm talking about without hearing what I'm not saying? Okay. Heaven and hell are real, they're, they're realities. But the decision you're making when you come to repentance is to forsake your way, your way of doing life. And turn and go God's way. Jesus taught us that when he went to the cross. He said, not my, remember, not my will, but your, Jesus had to make a decision right there at that point in time. Or we could look at it like this. It's a, it's a decision of the world's way versus Jesus' way. And they're not related in any way whatsoever. They are total opposites. And Jesus would call us and he would come to us while we're in the middle of doing life our way. And we're singing Frank Sinatra the whole time. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we're doing life our way. And Jesus comes and gives us this chance. He says there's another way. Actually, it's a better way. The problem is not with the better. The problem is with the different. It's way different than what I've been doing life like. You know? So you think about that. It's, it's a decision to turn from your way. And follow Jesus' way. All right. Here, here's another thought about repentance. It's a change of mind which results in the changing of your life or your lifestyle. Change of mind which results in the changing of your life and lifestyle. I like how Dallas Willard said it. This change of mind is, is, is to repent means to think about what you've been thinking about. Think about what you've been thinking about. Think about what you've been thinking about towards God. Think about what you've been thinking about towards life, yourself, other people, your career, success, money, all, all that kind of stuff. Reconsider. The Lord steps into our life and says, I want you to reconsider everything. And if you ever read the Bible, it throws a whole lot of things up that you need to reconsider. If you read it properly. Now, you can just read it like any other thing and just get your time in and move on with your life. But the whole, take the Sermon on the Mount, for instance. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is nothing but a challenge to all the disciples and all the people that are listening there to say, hey, I want to throw something out to you. This is how the kingdom of God operates. 
let's go this way. Because if you read all that stuff, it, it's very challenging. You ever read Jesus' teachings and been like, whew, that's rough. It's hard. Turn the other cheek, really. <laughs> that's funny, Jesus. That's different, isn't it? And in order for you to grasp that and to follow, follow, follow his way, there's got to be a, you've got to turn from the other way and follow what he's saying. It's, this, that's the change of mind. And the idea is, is that the change of mind leads to a change in behavior. This has got to happen every time we hear the word of God, every time that we encounter the word of God, every time the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And this idea of changing our mind is it's an act of humility towards God. It's where we learn to humble ourselves, and we're not really good at being humble, really. Most of us, anyway. That's very difficult. Because, you know, we're presidents of our own fan club, aren't we? I mean, I ran for president, and I voted for me. You know, that kind of deal. But we've got to learn to humble ourselves and let God, Paul would say it, not change your mind, but to renew our minds, to make our minds new again, because we're not thinking right. All right, now, let's get a couple scriptures in and we'll close down. And you're going to have notes for next week right there too, all right? Listen to what Jesus says about this. And we're going to go back and plug these definitions in. Jesus says this in Matthew 4, 17. This was his, his favorite sermon was this. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, and one writer says he went everywhere, and this is what he said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And one, one of the reasons why people have such a hard time with faith and believing and following God is because the foundation of repentance is not put in place. And Jesus, the master teacher that he is, the master builder that he is, he comes and he says, hey, you know what? The first thing you, before you even know who I am and what I'm about, the first thing you need to do is repent. Now, let's plug in our definition right here. To make a decision and turn and go the other way. I am here and now it's time for you to turn and make a decision and change your ways. That's pretty audacious for somebody just to come into town. That's what Jesus did. Came into town, was preaching at church that week and said, hey, everybody, I'm going to tell you what you got. Everybody in here has got it wrong. And I am telling you, it's time for you to change your ways. That's what he does. He steps into our life and he says, it's time for a change. Usually we are open to it because we usually are in a position where we think, well, yeah, you're right. Things do need to change. I need to change. Now, now put the other definition in there. To change your mind. Jesus says, it's now time for everybody to change their mind. Because the kingdom of God has come. And everybody's options have changed. There's, there's new things on the table now, so to speak. There's, there's new options for you to walk into. And, and you're not going to be able to receive it if you don't learn to change your mind. And one of the problems we got with changing the way we think is, there's an old saying we've got, it's hard to teach an old... Yeah, you know that one. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. And all them old dogs ran Jesus out of town. They really did. I mean, they ran Jesus out of town. They didn't like his ideas. They didn't like his change. Let's look at a couple apostolic things here. In the book of Acts, the apostles, how they used the idea of repent. Because you, you don't hear repentance talked about that much anymore. 
you know, because we don't have sins, we just made mistakes. <laughs> God help us. Acts 2, 37, 38 says this. Now, when they heard this, the, the, Peter's preaching to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. When they heard this, the crowd heard it. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brothers, what shall we do? Because whenever you really hear the gospel, it, it provokes you to say, I got to do something here now. I got to do something. Then Peter answers and says this, repent. Now, that's a church word again, but, but plug in our definition. It's time for you to change your life. It's time for you to turn and go another way. Or it's time for everybody here to change their mind. Now, he's specifically going to talk about changing your, your, their mind towards Jesus and who he is. He says, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we can look at this in detail. There's actually a pattern that begins to unfold in the book of Acts. And the pattern is this, calling people to repentance, telling them to be baptized, and telling them to receive the Holy Spirit. That becomes a pattern through the book of Acts. You think that pattern of God has ever changed? Now, the church has changed, and the church has tried to re rework a new pattern. But it's still, the church's job, just like these apostles, is leaders job believers job call people to repentance how you do that depend on your personality and your calling and your influence repentance have them baptized teach them how to receive the holy spirit that's important and uh two more and we'll be done acts three nineteen. notice peter and john this is the next chapter in the book of Acts. Peter and John, they're at the gate called Beautiful. And they have just healed this, this lame man that's been a beggar that's been there for quite some time. And that's, that's the silver and gold, have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Remember that? This is what the response of the crowd is. What do we do? <laughs> they, they gather around Peter and John and like, what, are we gonna, what do we need to do? And Peter says this, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And the last, go with Paul. He's going to be before King Agrippa. The end of Acts, Acts 26, getting close to the, the end of the story of Paul in the book of Acts. Verse 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should. Now look what he says right here. This is what I've been preaching. I've been going all over. We know he's been to Ephesus. He's been to Corinth. He's been to the region of Galatia. He's been to Thessalonica. He's been to Philippi. He's been all over that, that territory, hasn't he? This is what he says to King Agrippa, giving, bearing witness of himself. This is what I've been doing with people. And he's called in question on it all. This is what I've been doing. I've been telling people that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Hmm. That was part of Paul's message. That was a major part of Paul's message. Calling people to repentance. Calling people that it's time to change. It's time to change your life. It's time to change your lifestyle. It's time for you to turn and go a different way. Because the way you're on right now is not good. And it's not going to end good for you. Other places Paul would talk about a judgment, the judgment to come. 
These foundations, Paul would say, hey, repent. Don't just be sorry for your sins and ask God to forgive you, but turn to him. Turn to God, that faith towards God. And do works befitting of repentance. Now, what, what does he mean by that? Do works. What do you think he means by that? Do works befitting repentance. What is that? What's works befitting repentance? What, what, what in the world? Help me out, somebody. What's that? Being obedient to God. Being obedient to God. He, he's saying that, that repentance is not just a mental exercise. That actually when somebody truly changes, you can see it. You can see obedience. Obedience is not something you have to tell me you're doing. I can see it. You know what I'm talking about? We can see it. Another place the scripture says in the New Testament says that we should bring forth fruit or fruits, I think is the fruits of repentance. That repentance looks like something, doesn't it? That when that changes, when, when somebody literally changes and God changes a person, it looks like something. Now, not to be judgmental, but we have to help people. But not to be judgmental, but have you ever had the experience, maybe your own life or somebody else's life, where they prayed a prayer, but then there was no change, and you were really concerned about that deal? Because repentance is supposed to look like something, isn't it? Somebody once said, one of the old revivalists said, we shouldn't count people when they come and make a decision. We should count them like a year later and see what kind of fruit is there. Fruits of repentance. All right. We're going to get into some more. He says repentance from dead works. Repentance from dead works. You may want to go ahead and through the notes and read ahead a little bit and, and get prepared for next week. We're going to add to this and we're going to get to the story of the prodigal son, which is, is Jesus' best portrayal of what it means to repent and return. It's, it's an amazing story. It's my go-to story uh, simply because it's a great story and it's a great way to present the gospel to people, but it's also my story. I, I see myself in that a whole lot. So we're going to go ahead and read ahead, okay? We're going to just try to keep laying this foundation stone of repentance and just make sure that we are on the same page as what the Scripture is, all right? Now here, let me throw this deal into it because... Repentance is what gets us into the kingdom, but it's also repentance that helps us grow as we live in this kingdom. Let me ask you a question before we go. Do you ever stop repenting as a believer? Let me ask you this. Let me say it another way, because that's the church word, way to say it. Do you ever stop changing as a believer? Let me say it another way. Do you ever stop growing as a believer? Because the other idea of change is to grow, right? You don't ever stop, do you? We've all got so much to do. So we, repentance, Martin Luther said it like this, the great reformer. Uh, he said that all of life, is, all the Christian life is repentance. There's a lot of truth to that. It's about changing. It's always challenging our mind, the way we think, challenging our behavior, what we do, challenging how we treat other people. I mean, you've, we've all had the experience when we encounter somebody and you know you didn't act right and the Holy Spirit says, uh, mm -mm, that ain't working. And you have to go back and make that right and not just make that right, but the point is, is for you to change that attitude or behavior. You know, that kind of idea. We, we've all got that problem, right? <laughs> I got a lot of change that needs to happen. We're in this growth process. Hopefully we've got a lot of mercy and grace with each other that we're helping each other grow in this whole thing because change ain't easy, I can promise you. It is not easy, but it is necessary.
All right, let's ask the Lord to help us. We're not alone in this, this task, this building. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, we just invite you. We just receive you fresh and anew to, to help us, to grow us, to build us. Uh, we know that there's a lot of things that need to be dug out of us. A lot of thoughts, a lot of misconceptions, a lot of lies, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of things that's in our minds, Lord, need to be dug out. Thank you for your mercy and your patience to work with us and to help us and to grow us. And Lord, help us. Help us to cooperate with you and not, not to be as we've been in times past and as we see in the scriptures times past uh, where your people were stubborn and they wouldn't budge and they wouldn't change and it really cost them dearly. Help us to learn from those mistakes, Lord. And help us to have tender hearts towards you that we're ready at, 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 at your provoking, Lord, at your leading. We're ready to make the change in our thoughts and certainly in our actions. Help us, Lord. You've been so faithful to us. Help us to have this repentance stone, this repentance from our dead works. Help us to have that in place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.